0: You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of splatterpictures.net. And welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. I am your horror host, Wes, Dead Air Knipe. It has been a minute since you guys and me last spoke. Sorry about that, I took quite ill and I wasn't really able to use my voice the way I wanted to, so I figured instead of giving you guys... A crappy episode, I would just rest my voice, take my time, and then come back to you stronger than ever. Episode 17, we wrapped up our story of Hackslash, And so, in Panels of Blood tradition, I am going to be reading you a story from Tales from the Crypt. Or more specifically, I am going to be reading you a pre-code era comic book. This time, we are going to do a sampling from The Vault of Horror. Really, it's a vault of horror story that ran in a Tales from the Crypt issue, but why split hairs? This time, our horror host is the Vault Keeper. So we've done the Crypt Keeper, then we did the Old Witch, so naturally it makes sense to do the Vault Keeper. The Vault Keeper was never really my favorite, although I will say that the Vault Keeper is the most different of the horror host. Not so much in how he looks, because I think the casual reader would be forgiven for mistaking him for the Crypt Keeper, although the Vault Keeper does have some visual differences. The hood, typically green, and his mouth is always super gooey. It's one thing about the Vault Keeper that always kind of grossed me out. Every time his mouth was open, it's just this gummy, saliva-filled mouth. Before we get started, I, of course, would like to thank Rick Hunter for the use of our intro and outro music, and also Chris McGarren, who is providing us with the wonderful art. And I do have some news regarding uh, Chris McGarren and our website, and that will be coming up at the tail end of this episode. But without further ado, I give you the Vault of Horror. Madam. Bluebeard. Art. Joe Orlando. Written by the legendary Al Feldstein. An establishing shot of our horror host. He sits leaning forward on a wooden desk. Macabre paraphernalia dangling around him. Shrunken heads and chains. He's lit by a single candle with a moth buzzing around it. He's wearing... His classic green robe. Long white hair coming out the hood. He smiles with that ooey gooey gummy smile. He <laughs> he So it's my turn to entertain you now, eh? Good. I've been waiting. Come into the Vault of Horror. I am your host, the Vault Keeper. I've just painted that casket with glue so sit down on it and you won't hit the ceiling when i tell you the blood curdling tale i call Madame bluebeard one of the big differences with the vault keeper over the old witch and the crypt keeper is the fact that he narrates and interjects the stories with his own kind of brand of comedy he'll pop into the story While he's narrating and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't really have too much recollection of the Crypt Keeper doing that or the old witch. They tend to bookend the story. They come in at the beginning and then they wrap it up at the end and usually (laughs) spell out the twist ending, which is always amusing to me. But, you know, you never know. Maybe people just don't get the twist ending or don't really let it sink in. So just in case you missed what the twist ending is for a lot of these stories. The Crypt Keeper will be there to hammer it into your fucking face. The Vault Keeper, he just keeps coming in and out. An establishing shot. It seems to be midday. A funeral. Many sad mourners gathered around. Seven tombstones. In the background, we see two gravediggers preparing to do their jobs. All the other graves are covered over, except one seems freshly finished. In the foreground, a preacher reads from a Bible, the Vault Keeper's narration. For the beginning of our story, let's look in on a pathetic scene, a funeral, in a cemetery, as the group of black-clad mourners gather around the sobbing widow watch. The coffin of the recently deceased is lowered into the yawning black pit. Sad, isn't it? Feel sorry for the poor widow? Don't. Notice the neat line of graves beside the new one? Count them. Yes, there are six others. This poor woman is burying her seventh husband. Is there any wonder I've christened her Madam Bluebeard? After all, she killed them all. Just as a little interjection, Madame Bluebeard is a play on the character of Bluebeard, who, in a fairy tale story, murders his seven wives. Um, Just tossing that in there in case people weren't aware of what the term meant outside of, you know, like, Bluebeard the pirate or something. The onlookers say, Poor Teresa... I don't see how she stood up under these emotional shocks. Seven husbands in seven years? All accidentally keeled. We have a shot of two men, both wearing brown trench coats. One wearing a gray fedora. The one in the fedora has a mustache. The other has parted brown hair. The Vault Keeper's narration. Oh, yes! Yes! That's what everyone believes, that Teresa's seven husbands all died accidentally. Even her husband believed it. That is, all except Freddy, the one they're burying now. He knows different, or should I say, knew different. Ah, but I'm getting ahead of my story. The man in the fedora says. Poor girl. The man with brown hair. Poor. That's a laugh. She's loaded. Her seven husband's estates amount to a tidy sum. Why, if I didn't think Teresa was a jinx, I'd marry her myself. But I'd probably end up like all the others in some freak accident. Others? How did they die? A shot of a man falling backwards out of a rowboat over a waterfall. Seems to be jagged rocks around it, too. Well, let's see. Earl was her first. It happened about three months after they were married. Earl had probably fallen asleep while fishing. His boat drifted into the rapids, and he was killed going over the falls. We see a man in a red suit falling face first down a steep cliff. We see a truck and a trailer. Howard, Teresa's second, fell off a cliff while they were honeymooning in a trailer. Another shot man holding a rifle, except the rifle is backfired and exploding. He's being consumed by fire and smoke. Douglas, number three, was killed on a hunting trip. His gun exploded in his face. We see a man now falling out of a high-rise building. He's wearing a yellow suit. He looks terrified. Neil, the fourth, fell from his office window. Fourteen stories. We see a gray luxury car, stuck on the crossroads of a railway track, while a train rams into the side of it. The car has two people inside, one sitting in the back, the other, a woman, falling from the front of the vehicle. Warren, Teresa's fifth, was killed when their car was struck by a train. Teresa was thrown clear and suffered only mild bruises. We now have a shot of a naked man sitting in a bathtub. He looks positively shocked as a radio, still plugged in and on, falls into the water behind him. Then Peter, husband number six, was electrocuted while taking a bath. A radio he was listening to fell into the tub of water. We see now back at the graveyard. It's clearly winter. People are walking towards their car. The service is ended. The two men linger behind, and of course, you know how poor Freddy was killed. Yes, well, Teresa's leaving. I guess it's all over. Coming? We now have the vault keeper interject. He's smiling wickedly. We can actually see teeth, and they look actually a little sharpened. And he's trying to cover his mouth with his hand. See what I mean? See how they all believe the deaths were accidents. Accidents, my bloodshot eye. They were each cold calculated the murder. Take poor Earl's death, for instance. Oh sure, Earl fell asleep while fishing, but he knew about the rapids and the falls downstream. So, he was very careful to tie up the boat to an overhanging bow before taking his snooze. Only... And we see, as Earl is indeed resting, Hat down over his face, fishing rod off to the side. Someone in the shadows, with hedge clippers, is cutting the rope, which will cause the boat to drift downstream. And, as for Howard, well, he was inside the trailer when Teresa stopped at the cliff edge. When she screamed, Howard came out of the trailer door full speed, and like she's fucking Daffy Duck, there is Teresa resting a hand on the trailer, another hand on her hip as Howard just fucking goes ass over tea kettle over the cliff. We see Teresa now, long brown hair, green dress, screwing around with husband number three's gun, the narration. And the Douglas, husband number three, met his untimely fate because after cleaning his gun, He left it around where Teresa could get at it. She poured molten lead into the barrel, blocking it up. Now we have a shot of Teresa literally pulling the rug out from under Neil as he falls out a window. Neil, number four, was leaning out of his office window, looking for the new Cadillac Teresa claimed was parked below, when Teresa... Yanked the scatter rug out from beneath his feet. As for Warren, husband five, he made the mistake of falling asleep while Teresa was driving home from a party. She had just stopped the car on the grade crossing, stepped out, and waited. And sure enough, Teresa, with her arms crossed, wearing a purple blouse and a blue dress, just stares, daggers at this gray car, while Warren, husband number five, sleeps in the back. We now go to Peter in the bathtub. He's smiling, scrubbing his body, having a grand old time listening to the music on his radio, but we see Teresa's hand, with a long broom handle, knocking it into the water. And Peter, who loved the music, aired when he took his bath with his back to the door, he never saw Theresa open it, reach the stick-in, and knock the radio off the shelf above the tub. The shot of the vault keeper, a look of glee on his face, while he extends a hand in explanation. Yes, they'd all been murdered, but they never knew it. Only Freddy, Theresa's seventh husband, he knew. Freddy was a flying bug on his own plane, He had the runway leveled at one end of Teresa's vast estates. Every day, he'd take off, fly around, and land. One day, while he was up, Teresa strung a strong wire, taut about two feet high, across the runway. And when Freddy came in for a landing, we see as the small gray plane prepares to land, has one of those spinny front propellers on it, Teresa is tying that wire taut, and when the wheels strike the plane, it flips forward, crashing and exploding. But Freddy wasn't killed in the crash. When he crawled from the wreckage, Teresa was forced to finish the job. And we see Teresa with a large rock over her head, and she's about to bring it down on top of Freddy's head, while Freddy cries out, No, Teresa. No! The Vault Keeper continues as we head into a flashback. So you see why I've christened Teresa Madam Bluebeard? What's that you say? She must be nuts. Of course she's nuts. It stems back to her childhood when her father walked out on Teresa and her mother. We see young Teresa as a baby being held in her mother's arms. Her father... A rough-looking man with a cigarette in his mouth and a large brown-brim hat is in the foreground. Her mother says, Jack, what will we live on, Teresa and I? For my part, you can starve. Goodbye. Teresa's mother had been embittered by her husband's leaving. She'd brought up her daughter to hate men. We see Teresa, older now, with a rag-like doll in her hand, Her dress, really nothing more than tattered rags. Her mother, also in tattered rags, now far older, is scrubbing the floor with one of those old galvanized buckets and a big, heavy handbrush. Her mother says, Men are beasts, Teresa. They're nothing but animals. Teresa responds, Yes, Mommy. All of her life, she'd been popped. We now see Teresa's mother, far older, on her deathbed, still pointing a finger at Teresa and shouting, Money! That's all they're good for! The beasts! And now, an older Teresa just says, Yes, Mother, the Vault Keeper's narration. Until it became logical in Teresa's warped mind that, Teresa interjects while looking out a window while it rains, Men are beasts! Wild beasts! Wild beasts must be destroyed! We now have an establishing shot. Teresa, looking at a gravestone. It's night. The trees around her are bare. Then, when Teresa's mother died on a cold day in November, Teresa says, I'll avenge your death, mother. You shall see. They'll pay for this. The beasts! We now have Teresa, mourning, laying a wreath down onto a gravestone. The Vault Keeper's narration. And so, on the first anniversary of her mother's death, Earl, Theresa's first husband, lay in his grave. Theresa came and laid the wreath on it in her mother's honor. We now see Theresa standing back, hands clasped over each other, two graves next to each other, both now with wreaths on them. And on the second anniversary of her mother's passing, there were two graves to place wreaths upon, Earl's and Howard. A second husband's. We now see Teresa walking to the graves. Now more. It's still night. And she has yet another wreath. The Vault Keeper's narration. Year after year, the neat little row of graves grew. And year after year, Teresa came and placed wreaths upon them. In honor of her mother. Teresa says six years mother and six wreaths in your memory we now have a shot of the two grave diggers it's the present time the funeral procession is just leaving now the black clad mourners are filing out of the cemetery leaving the seventh grave to be filled in for Eddie's grave let's get to work hank yeah it's getting cold we now have an eerie night shot of the graveyard All seven graves now completed. A wispy bit of mist intertwines amongst the seven gravestones and heads off towards the church. The Vault Keeper's narration. And so, the seventh grave is filled in. The neat line lies silent under the darkening sky. Earl under the first. Howard beneath the second. Douglas under the third mound. Kneel below the fourth, Warren in the fifth, and Peter the sixth, each peaceful in death, each ignorant, and in the fresh grave, Freddy, who knows? And as the wind comes up, rustling through the bare trees, sweeping across the gravestones, whistling past the row of seven graves, it seems to sound like a whisper, like someone. Whispering like Freddy telling the others. Establishing shot. An old man working in a flower shop is met by Teresa. He's preparing a fresh wreath. It seems to be mid-afternoon. The caption reads, One day in November. Teresa says, I'd like to buy some wreaths. Seven of them. Yes, ma'am. Shall I wrap them up or are you going across the road with them? I'm going across the road. To the cemetery. How much will that be? Eh, $14, ma'am. These are hard to get this time of year. $14. It's a lot of money. In 1950s dollars. Teresa now, holding a large group of the wreaths. The narration reads, Teresa crosses the road and enters the cemetery. The seven wreaths in her arms. Teresa says, $14. The beast, as the sun sets, Teresa approaches the seven graves. On over the frozen mounds, she moves to the neat row of seven graves. She stops and places a wreath upon each grave. And we do see that she is kneeling. The sun almost completely set, casting a long shadow behind her. Six wreaths are already placed, and she is laying one down in the center. It's almost as if she placed three on one side, three on another side, and then was placing the center one down. Then, Teresa tosses her face towards the darkening sky and begins to laugh. But her laugh is cut short by a rumble beneath her feet. She stares down, horrified. The seven graves are each cracking open. Teresa, with a hand to her face, shouts, Good Lord! The sky is black, and a rotten, gnarled hand peeks forth from the grave closest to her. The narration. The rotted hand reaches up from beneath the frozen earth, grasping Teresa's ankle in a deathlike grip. She cannot run. She cannot move. She can only watch as the corpses rise from their grave. Watch and scream. We see the hand grasping at Teresa's ankle tight, while five more fully rotted corpses are poking out from the ground. They're not entirely free yet. They're all about waist deep. Two in the foreground, we can see brown peeling flesh exposing a lot of bone. Each one has no eyes to speak of, and they're all wearing tattered brown suits. Someone's even kind of hard to see what kind of clothes they were wearing. The narration. And, as Teresa screams, and in a choking cough, silence once again descends upon the graveyard. The wind whispers across the cemetery, caressing the neat little row of graves only now. There are eight graves instead of seven, and on the eighth grave lie seven soiled wreaths. And sure enough, we see the other graves are without their wreaths, and the seven wreaths that Teresa had bought, for fourteen dollars, are forming their own makeshift tombstone. The end. But not before a little interjection by our vault keeper. <laughs> So happy anniversary, mother. That's a lovely gift those men-beasts gave you. I hope you're grateful. Oh, by the way, fiends, you'll be grateful when you receive my actual photograph. Grateful you don't look like me. If you'd like this camera portrait of me as I appear in the rotted flesh, read the Crypt Keeper's corner in this issue. The old buzzard gives full particulars. Bye now. Remember, cremated corpses never die. They just blaze away. I always love the fact that a lot of the times at the end of these issues, the horror hosts are always selling, selling, selling. And that is our story for today want to thank you guys for sticking around it was kind of a short one but very interesting story i I think that you know nowadays that story will be heavily scrutinized because the idea of this woman being told that men are beasts her whole life and then she ends up killing men for no other reason i'm sure that it's just overly simplified like they can't really do a story that would have an in-depth psychological analysis and also 1940s and 50s That type of thing wasn't really going on, but I think it's really cool that these stories exist. And I really wanted to do something that had a classic O. Henry twist of corpses coming out of the grave, the idea that Freddie would know how he died or the reason that he died, therefore, could tell the other corpses is a nice little twist for me. And you bow to the absurd in these types of horror stories. Back in the day when you read these Things. There was no real explanation for why the people would return from the graves. There were vengeful spirits, a restless corpse, people who died tragically, innocently at the hands of someone evil, and that person is therefore punished. That person's name is Teresa. The other reason why I decided to choose this story is to make an announcement. This is the first announcement that I'll be making on any official podcast. I might have alluded to things later on that I might be doing a little something, but. I had mentioned at the top of the episode that Chris Begarin has been providing the art for Panels of Blood and the website in general for many years. And he and I are finally going to be sitting down and we are going to be working on a comic book together. And the good news for you guys is this comic book is going to be provided to you on our website. So you're not going to have to go to the stores and buy it. It is going to be kind of a webcomic format. I'll give you more details on how exactly you're going to be able to view it, but um, I'm pretty sure we could just add a widget or something like that to the website. I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue, but even if I have to have a dedicated website just to it, we will have that and link it from spotter Pictures. But I had made the announcement on Facebook and Twitter, and I had also provided some of Chris's character concept for our titular character of Teresa. That is indeed the name of the book. And if you guys are curious about what it is about. It is Chris Bagarin's concept with characters that he and I had created many years ago. And now we're going to be letting you guys see it. And what it's going to be is going to be a very action oriented horror book. There's going to be lots of fighting, lots of gore heaven hell twist turns and betrayal it's about a woman who is torn between both forces and should she choose one or the other should she carve her own path and What does that mean for her and the world? And so I think that it's gonna be a really cool story, and I hope you guys really dig it And if you guys want head over to my Twitter account or follow me on Twitter And if you guys want definitely follow us on Facebook at Splatter Pictures, or uh, or keep us saved for splatterpictures.net, or follow me at Wes Dead Air Knife. We will be releasing character bios and more concept art and teaser pages and images over the next few weeks, and then the book will finally get released. And I will lock down a precise release date for you guys is if I have it my way and I'm pretty sure that uh, Chris and I will be able to work this out it will be released before the year's over so we definitely have a few months left in that but when I know you guys will know for a hundred percent this is really exciting for me I've been a comic book writer for a while and I've done stuff like princeless so you guys might be aware of and that anthology book will be coming out Uh, very very soon and I have other comic books that are waiting in the wings but the thing about comic books is sometimes it takes a little bit for this stuff to get published and so I'm always saying yeah I write comic books yeah I wrote this yeah I wrote that and then we are in a position where we're just waiting and waiting and waiting and so Chris had wanted to do this thing with me for a while and so I said let's just do it and let's just release it so people can read it and let's not worry about anything else just yet. Let's just get the story out to you guys. And he, of course, was on board for it. And his art is absolutely amazing, guys. And if you guys like the style of our logos and stuff like that, I mean, yes, he can do that type of style. And it's very Invader Zimming. it's really, really cool. But also, he's evolved so much as an artist beyond just the art of the logo. So it's just fucking out of this world and every time he shows me some of the characters that are going to be coming out i i just fucking flip i just can't believe it and yeah so that's all the news that i have about that but hopefully it will not be that long of a wait before you guys get another episode of panels of blood we are going to be starting a little back-to-back fun with the archie comics and we're going to be delving deep into the Dark Archie universe that is, of course, Afterlife with Archie, and then going into the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So I hope you guys are going to really enjoy our back-to-back Archie-a-thon leading into the next few weeks. And until next time, I am your horror host for now and all eternity, Wes, Dead Air Night. and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.